we are living in someone's false ARG. This is what the Great Reset is. They're just creating what they want the next story to be. And we also seem to revealing right now to understand how this 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 realm works, so that we can walk through it with with greater awareness and consciousness. So then, going back to the whole thing of like you know, why does mysticism work? Why does why is synchronicity important? Why is looking at rivers, looking at where you are, important? Because that is a baseline reality which is deeper than the ARG. You are going to connect to something. That is the human experience. What's up, Uncle Mike? <laughs> how you doing, my friend? I'm doing all right. So how have you been? I've been all right. Um, this past week has been exciting. I did a lot of podcasts this week. I opened up the floodgates to do more podcasts. So um, I've had quite a few in the past few weeks. Not a lot of traveling, but I have gone on a couple nice hikes. And I did a survey of a place called turkey hill it's a little park in my town that has some stone rows and killer mounds with stones on top of them so it was a neat place to survey so when you say survey what do you mean i mean the traditional sense of the word survey like what george washington or somebody would be doing when they were surveying like literally looking at the land observing it the heights, you know, not with any sort of instruments to measure, but just with our eyes and particularly with a focus on the stone rows, where they're heading, where they come from, what they connect. And we found that they connect the front of the trail, the front area to this kind of off the trail area that has a bunch of ledges and really large boulders and we found a geological marker and we also found a what i would describe as like a diamond shape almost like you would see in um beaded patterns bead beadwork native american beadwork you'll see like this sort of uh dot really flattened diamond with uh lines coming out of all, all four corners that was carved into the stone in a very similar way to the channel that you pointed out when we came down to Lancaster and we went down to the... The Wall of Destiny? The Wall of Destiny, yes. Remember, so the channel that was in front of the Wall of Destiny, there were rocks in this area that had very similar grooves. So what's your, what's your, uh, what's your initial take on, on all that you discovered? Well... Folks can can go on Rockfin to see all the footage, um, but my take is that there was certainly 
a strange um if if colonialists built the uh stone rose in that particular place it would have been really i don't know hard to explain it through that lens it seems more likely that these stones were here much longer uh because as we kind of walked along we found very very large multiple ton boulders uh featured in this stone row and the stone row went up and down and up and down all these different hills so it just it just doesn't seem like a it was carving out any territory in that particular spot in the forest and then b it didn't seem like it was very uh easily put together you know so that being said i don't want to dismiss the possibility that it could have been colonialist i think it's far more likely that it was some sort of indigenous culture whether recently or far far into the past i think that would be my explanation for it but i you know i make the disclaimer at the beginning of the video that it could be wishful thinking we're just you know going around and, and, and reviewing what we've found based on books that we've read so it could did be did you go did you go there did you go to turkey hill specifically to to see this wall or was that a serendipitous discovery totally serendipitous we we went uh we went there just because Tara and I decided we're going to go for a walk in the woods at least once a week to stay present, stay grounded in nature. And, you know, my style is to not stay on the path. So we, we kind of went down the path for a little bit until this boulder kind of far off in the, uh, in the leaves caught my eye. So we walk over to it and it was a pedestaled boulder which is a type of um it's it's a little hazy whether or not these are always man-made because it is very possible that it, uh, you know a boulder can just end up this way uh but the pedestal boulder is interesting because underneath it is a very distinct triangle sort of shaped chamber with the base of the triangle being upside down uh and the two points towards the ground it was interesting that, you know, that pedestaled boulder that I had read about, pedestaled boulders being a feature in this sort of stone landscape, stone sacred landscape, that was our uh, <laughs> little clue to get off the trail and go further in that direction. And we did, and, and we found the stone row uh, kind of comes out of nowhere and just continues on through that area and, and ended up, like I said, in this very moundy, hilly area, lots of boulders and a geological survey marker. So we were not the first people to do a survey there. What does the geological survey marker say? Um, let me see. I got a picture of it on my phone. It, <clears throat> it pointed north. I can remember that pretty clearly. And then it, it had, you know writing all around the whole thing hold on let's see so it says like, a, was it a plaque does it look like it was done within the last 50 years it looks like it could have been done within the last 80 years it's uh yeah it, it, it's somewhere in the mid like 60s to 90s <laughs> it says does it say who put it there does it say like the national geodesic organization yes. or whatever that's called okay yeah it says uh, marine 
or I'm sorry, Mark U.S. Coast and Geodetic Survey Reference Mark. Uh, the director, Washington, D.C., for information um, or write to, and then they warn you that you can be fined up to $250 for disturbing the marker. And is the marker, um, is it... Uh, is it raised like on a on a? Uh, yeah, it looks like a button that they just like slammed into the rock with like probably an iron pin on okay. the other side. Does it, and it doesn't say the year it was put in. No, it, you know, it, in the middle where the arrow that allegedly points north is, um, it just says number one, like N O one, and then it has like, it, it it's a different type of uh, carving. Than the official, in uh, in what's the word I'm I'm thinking of uh, inscription. There's like a secondary inscription that was either put there by like a somebody with a machine to to cut like actual letters and inscribe actual letters, or maybe like whoever worked there <laughs> has like you know the job of of putting their mark on there. And because it, it says and, pr it princess number one, so I can't imagine that that was a part of the official inscription. But it could be like a trade inscription, like the guy who put it there is nicknamed Princess, and he puts you know his nickname on it or something. I don't know. All right, uh, and <laughs> this is off the beaten path. Is that correct? Yeah, it's. I mean, the Yale, the um, Yale, the Yellow Trail passes through it, but this area. But most people just stay on the trail. They don't climb up the mountain, just like the hill, to see the, the survey marker. I would assume. Say say that again. What did you? I didn't understand what you meant by that. I would assume most people don't climb up this hill because it's not like there's no trail uh, over these hills. They're just sort of near the path. So the path does take you to this area. We cut uh, through the woods to like kind of skip trails to get to this area so from our perspective it was like oh wow look at this place off the trail but then as right. we explored i noticed that the trail another trail did kind of come through this area somewhat so how close did that trail go to the actual marker like yeah. just go right in front of it or did you have to walk off the trail oh no and yeah. then discover it completely off the trail probably like 20 okay. feet off the trail and up uh All pretty right. steep steep mountain so then the second question I have for you is, have you stumbled across one of these official um, geodetic, is it geodetic or geodesic? Geodesic. The, the button is fairly right. beaten up. So, have, have you come across one of these buttons uh, in your travels before? No, not, none that stand out. Um, I mean, I've definitely hiked up plenty of mountains, so it's, it could be possible I have, but... No, well, no, none, none come to mind. Around. Okay, all right. So the first thing I want to point out, which I think is really kind of, you know, that in itself. So this is the first time you've ever actually, like, you know, found one of these uh, Easter eggs out on just like your normal uh, uh, surveying of the landscape. And you survey the landscape pretty regularly for a non-surveyor, right? You know, that's part of what our conversation is. So I want to say that, and I want to include that uh, – only once in my experience have I come across a um, a 
Parker from the National Geodesic um, Organization, and it was on Turkey Hill in Lancaster. <laughs> wow. <laughs> right? And I've, I've, I've showcased that in a couple of videos before. It's on the top of one of the, uh, the hikes of the right to the 40th parallel. And on the plaque, it expl- uh, what, the one which I've seen, it's on top of Turkey Hill overlooking the Susquehanna. And it is an obelisk-like uh, structure, concrete. Um, and you can see at the very top of it, it looks like there are um, all machines purposely done for this. It looks like there is a, a place to, put, to drop in another piece of equipment. And so I'm not a professional surveyor, but I would imagine a piece of professional survey equipment would go on that. So it's designed with that. And then there's a plaque underneath it, which, which states the uh, organization that put it. There is a name for it, and the name for it is Susquehanna. And then it says the year it was put on. And I want to say by memory it was like 1950. And what's interesting is um, uh, where this hill is. So if you're familiar with the brand Turkey Hill as it relates to ice cream and, and ice tea and the sort of things which you would get at a convenience store in, in Pennsylvania. I don't know how far they go, but there are Turkey Hill convenience stores throughout Pennsylvania. So there, so what I'm talking about is the Turkey Hill where the Turkey Hill ice cream comes from. Like the, right. the dairy plant is still there. It's still right. operational. So there's there, there, there certainly is an interesting um, uh, parallel from, from your experience and mine, like one, the, the marker, and two, both being on places called Turkey Hill. So... Uh, that certainly I find intriguing. And I would suggest that just, you know, you said I did not have any sort of equipment but my eyes, and I would say that's all the equipment you probably need. Um, but you are applying your, your, your most sophisticated equipment, that of your, 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 your mind, your consciousness, your awareness, your perception, your thinking, uh, your reasoning um, in a way which is not done very often in our modern times. Like you know, we don't we don't have a need to have to look at the landscape that way uh, for a variety of reasons. Like maybe you could take in the landscape just purely for its beauty, uh, but to take it in for something deeper and more practical than that, you know, that doesn't happen. So I would say you're definitely honing and developing. A, an attribute of being human on earth, which was probably much more, much more used in the past and is, has probably atrophied in most, in most human beings right now. So uh, regardless of, of not necessarily coming away with a, a very firm conclusion of what to do with this information, I would say you're, you're moving along the uh, a good path and and continuing to do so you'll probably discover more and more and as we can see that your intuition pulled you in the right direction um we talked a little bit last week about being pulled to different used bookstores when you were in paris travels and now we're seeing it show itself in other ways too Mm. so i think that's all fascinating yeah and i'm excited to see 
excited to see where that um, continues in your Oh, now I see you sent me that picture of uh, that marker. Okay, yeah, that looks very similar uh, uh, in terms of style. But you see in the in the center area where the arrow is, there's kind of like a secondary, almost like uh, after inscription where it was either put there maybe like by a vandal or like the guy who installed this. But it says very clearly on it, princess number one. And what's interesting about that, in my mind, I didn't I didn't notice this until just now when we're looking at the photo. But what's interesting is that um, Turkey Hill used to be a part of Milford, the town that I'm in. Uh, it became its own town called Orange, where it, Turkey Hill now is a part of Orange, Connecticut. And this whole area was a settlement for the Wepawag. Indians, the Wepawag Native Americans. So one of their four settlements was here at Turkey Hill, which was part of why I became a little bit more fascinated in this as we, you know, got home and I was reviewing some of the photos that I took. I went into my I went into my uh my book called Voices of the New Republic, Connecticut Towns in the eighteen hundreds basically like a uh, historical essays written in the 1800s about colonial Connecticut. And in the Milford essay, a man named uh, Ezariah Scranton, Sc Scranton coming back. Right. So this guy, uh, Ezra, Ezariah, Ezra, however you pronounce that name, um, Scranton, wrote about how the indigenous people in this area milford connecticut they around this time they had their last final settlement in turkey hill and that was before you know they eventually left um you know by this time when this guy was writing he said there was only two or three families of indigenous people in the whole town so this was sort of in this transitional time when people were starting to live in their own smaller houses and Native Americans who were living in the traditional ways were moving north, moving west, you know, getting away from colonial influence as much as they could. So, but what's so strange is this story comes back from that time of the residents of Milford seeing the Indians, Native Americans, dressing up one of their children in like really beautiful beads and all of these, uh, they just say, f the, they use the word fineries. So he was the the child was dressed up in in Indian fineries, and when they asked the uh, Wepawag what they were gonna do with the child, they said the child was to be sacrificed at Turkey Hill, and and I'm like, whoa! So we may have been uh, in a sacred place, you know, a place where people would have done uh, rituals, maybe even sacrificial rituals. Um, but it's very strange, you know, that kind of uh, um, hindsight effect. Like we talked about this a couple times on this show. It's like you go to a place, you don't really know why you're drawn to it. I did go to this place mostly because of our conversation about Turkey Hill. Uh, and every time we've driven by it, I've kind of like mentioned it to Tara. Like, oh, we got to go to Turkey Hill. Mike has a place called Turkey Hill near him. And, yeah, so that day was the day we did it, and 
And yeah, that's as much as I really found was that sort of child sacrifice story from colonial times. Um, but it just adds, you know, more credence to that whole superstitious uh, interaction between the indigenous people and the colonialists, you know, that everything that they did was colored with this superstition, you know, uh, and that kind of takes us back to like the quaking shakers too and, and how the quaking shakers were seen as dancers, but the, the indigenous people, when they were dancing, they were doing like, you know, devil worship. It's just silly. Um, certainly, certainly. Um, uh, slightly parallel to that, what I want to, what, what, what's kind of jumping off to me um, as uh being interesting is the fact that um that the town's name is orange it's it's orange you know i just sent you a link on your phone and maybe you can include that link in the show now well yeah and did you open up that link did you look at it yeah and that's how i know you're hitting at the orange thing because you know orange is a um is a name uh well I would imagine any place in colonial America named Orange is named after the King of England, William of Orange. Uh, so Orange was a place. I don't know where it was exactly. but So this is the Orange Order. And the first picture is a, you know, the, the traditional sort of Freemasonic symbol of the pillars and the arch and then all of their little insignias in the middle with the coffin at the floor sort of creating a uh, final line in the archway s- uh, symbol. So scroll down to the bottom of that, of that article, and you'll okay. see another picture. The Susquehanna Rock. All right. And so do you see the carving in the rock? Yeah, it looks just like the Yakim and Boaz uh, pillars with an arc. <laughs> and well, it has uh, two and it, a half it, in the... It, it, it is reference to that order and the orange, and then the the carving into that stone. Mm. It it looks like it was done by someone who really knows what the hell they're doing, right? Yeah, like almost similar to the secondary carving which we see in the marker that you showed, where it says Princess Number One. Mm. Right, right. So the story of that stone, it, I, I want to say, it was last February. The story came out. Um, that someone discovered that carving in the Susquehanna River, uh, very close to to Chickie's Rock in the whole general area, which I like to go down near the 40th parallel. And apparently no one's ever seen that before. Like the, it was a boulder which was in the river, but it's not that deep or not that far off of the shoreline. And it's definitely not, um, a, it's not deep to get there like that. I know where it is, and, and there's kind of an island that appears and disappears depending upon how high the river is, and people explore it and play around on it all the time. And someone found that carving, and and in February they they there was this blog post on 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 the blog, which which is what I sent to you, where they're like, "Hey, someone found this. Does anyone know what this is?" And then someone's like, "Did a little research, I'm like, yeah, it's the Order of the Orange." And so the Order of the Orange is a Masonic organization. I want to say it's either Scottish or Irish, but it is it is um, it is it originated 
in that part of the world. And then there were different branches, um, uh, in a, uh, I wouldn't say in the 1800s, different uh, lodges here in the United States. So there, we can say for certain that that, that lodge, they, for whatever reason, they, they marked that stone, they marked the river, uh, which is probably about ooh, five miles upstream from where the other marker is, the Susquehanna marker, the geodesic marker that uh, I referenced, and I just sent you a picture of that one as well. So it's all in the same sort of area. So I'm finding that very, uh, very interesting as well. Um, I don't know that much about this order of the orange. What I do know is in the the Martin Scorsese film Gangs of New York, um, one of the gangs, and that that has some sort uh, that movie has a historical context. It's not a historically accurate. Uh, uh, motion picture, but it is based upon what we're told is the history nonetheless, and they deal a lot with the Order of the Orange in that movie as well. I remember doing some research and seeing that, but but we're uh, I'm seeing multiple, multiple uh, overlaps between your discovery and certain things that are happening here as well, so um, I see this as something we'll continue to discover and, and, and see where it goes, but as of right now, it certainly looks like we're looking at something which which um, may bear some fruit. You know, <laughs> it may point to something more specific than just just coincidences or or parallels or similarities. We might get to something a little bit more specific than that. I'd hope so. Yeah, I mean, you bring up the movie Gangs of New York, right? I mean, that's a movie synchronistically that I probably avoided watching. 50 times i mean i don't know how this memory is coming back to surface but there was a time in my life like high school pre-college when i just go home and and watch tv and that movie for whatever reason was on tv a lot and i remember watching it more more than five times i think so it's it's very interesting. I have to go back and rewatch it. It's been so long since those days. I don't really have a very good recall from movies that much. But wow, I would I would highly recommend rewatching that and paying more attention. So typically, a film like that is going to capture uh, or going to stay in someone's memory from maybe some of the more dramatic scenes, some of the fight scenes. You know, it's, it's a Scorsese film with a lot of violence and that tends to to be most paramount in people's recall but when you watch it again pay a lot of attention to the setup of the leo dicaprio character and of the daniel day lewis character because that's when it gets a little bit more into the the historical element and paying attention what is told and what is not told it's been a while since i saw that uh, the movie myself, but I remember when I watched it again with fresh eyes, being very, very intrigued by what was shared in uh, in that um, in those parts of the film. So I'd be curious to, to to see what jumps out to you if you do go rewatch that and see if the orange, um, you know, uh, in my personal opinion, if you're going to watch if you're going to watch any of this mainstream uh, culture. No, if you get entertained by it, like that should be secondary. It should never be primary that you want to be entertained by it because you're getting in the wrong state of consciousness. You know, if you're sitting back to absorb an entertaining sort of thing, that's when 
any of the subliminal stuff is one missed and two goes deep into your consciousness. Watch these films with with uh, uh, with a a a researcher's perspective, and then have a research device at hand so that when something is said, you can immediately go and, and do some quick searches and see what they're talking about, or at the very least have a notebook to take notes. But I always find it better to be in real time to watch something and then go and pause it and, be, and see what I can find out about it so I can get greater and greater context. And this includes everything about who made the film, who are the producers, who wrote it, who edited it, who, um, who is the director, and so forth. All of this is going to go and create a much, much broader, uh, broader understanding of the narrative which is being presented in, um, through, through cinema or film. You know, that's, that's my two cents. But, but yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, there's something with the orange, I, w- I would agree. Um, yeah. In in what we're talking about, and to to go deeper into that. Well, yeah, Orange County comes to mind. Multiple states have Orange counties, and then yeah, I'm sure there's more than just Orange, Connecticut, as far as towns well, named Orange. So Orange is so you're bringing up something else interesting with the Orange. So in my mind, you know, I have it separated, but maybe it's not. Maybe it all goes back to the same place. But uh, one of the most interesting things to me is the fact that both Disneyland in California and Disney World in Florida are both in Orange Counties. (laughs) Well, see? So now we have that link right there. And so then if we want to go and look at, like, the whole Vedic chakra system. So when we talk about, like, chakras and stuff like that, this comes to us through the Vedic tradition. And so... You know, taking taking consideration whatever you think the Vedic tradition is, but you know that's where it comes from. And orange corresponds with um, with what's called the the sacral. the uh, the sacral chakra, and the sacral chakra is also where um, you know creativity comes from. Right. It corresponds with creativity, and I always found that as being rather significant to linking in Disneyland and Disney World in Orange County is how orange from that theosophical slash Vedic slash now new age sort of perspective is tied into creativity often with children because there's nothing more creative a human being can do than create another human being. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a sexuality element, all of these sort of things, which then also spill over to the capturing of the imagination and like, you know, you know, we want to get a little bit darker human trafficking and all of this sort of like, uh, uh, dark things that occur- that correspond with with the Disney enterprise. Mm-hmm. So you know that that comes into play. And so I said to you, I was like, in my mind, I separated that from the order of the orange, but maybe they are connected. I don't know, but um, but there's there's a lot of interesting stuff there with orange. Mm, yeah, no doubt. And you know, this town that I'm in, Milford, you know, it is considered an ancient town. Uh, pre-United States, and it was interesting, you know, all of the little ins and outs of Turkey Hill going back the past 400 years, but there's another gas station, not Turkey Hill, uh, that comes to mind, Cumberland, which has just exploded in popularity in my area in the past five years. 
Cumberland Farms are like in every town now. It seems like five years ago they weren't, but you were in New Cumberland, PA this past weekend, and I, I hope we can get into that, but maybe first, have has anything ever... Uh, have you ever looked into the name Cumberland, where that comes from? Because I've always heard that and just been fascinated. And I knew it was a place in PA. And when the gas station became popular, I just associated it with PA for some reason and, and never really thought too deeply in there. But Cumberland, is that is that ringing any bells for, for you, Synchro Mystic Uncle Mike? So... Uh... Okay, you you just hit a, a co- two different things. I'm not certain where to go go through first. Um, Cumberland Farms, the the parent company of Cumberland Farms is called the EG Group. It's a British retailer, mm. and um, they also recently acquired the Turkey Hill brand. So they're one and the same. They they're, wow. they're owned by the same folks. So. You know, I, I, you know that that's kind of interesting. I'd never heard of Cumberland Farms before, but I just check that out. But um, I want to talk about this this new Cumberland presentation. That's really what I wanted to talk about today, uh, because there's some really really weird things associated with it. But then at the same time, I want to go and look at this um, this EG group. I'm not going to do that right now, but I'm going to come back and look at that uh, in. Um, in the future because there's we just we just bumped up against that so can can i talk a little bit about the the presentation which i gave in new cumberland this weekend and and to answer your question real quick no i don't have anything deeper than uh going into cumberland as a word and what and what that means but it's an interesting question because cumberland comes up a lot Mm. yeah but i want to go it does seem like one of those, you know, European words that has some kind of secret meaning. But, yeah, I feel like I owe you, uh, after last episode, I kind of blabbered on about my life. So, please, take it away, Mike. I'm sure right, the audience, right. this is long overdue. They'd much rather hear your stories than mine. I'm just being humble. So, so this past weekend, I... Uh, uh, there are a couple layers to the story. So this past weekend, I did my first in-person presentation um, for probably a couple of years, and I did it at um, I did it at a wellness center in New Cumberland, Pennsylvania. New Cumberland is, you know, I don't know if you call it a suburb, but maybe that's what it is. A suburb of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Harrisburg is the capital of Pennsylvania. It's right on the Susquehanna River. Um, I know the woman who owns who owns the the uh, the wellness center, and she asked me if I would do a presentation there. Um, something we had been talking about for years, and nothing ever kind of came together. And I was like, okay, you know, now um, now it seems to be showing itself, and like she and, and I've been kind of itchy to want to do something in physical reality for some time. And so I was like, yeah, that was very exciting. And so we did that this weekend. It was a, it was a big success, you know, based upon my expectations. We, it was a small space with about 25 people all said and done. It was, it was really, really good. So in that presentation, and one of the things which I was, I was excited about was the woman who 
runs the 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 wellness center. She's a Brazilian woman and very very involved with esotericism and and um, more uh, uh, traditional practices of esotericism. Um, she also teaches a mystery school. I've never been to it, but I know that that is within her um, within her wheelhouse. And so what she proposed to me when we were figuring out what we were going to do and what I would talk about and so forth, she said that she would like to do a um, she would like to do a river ceremony afterwards. So it's going to be a presentation followed by a ceremony. I was like, wow, that sounds fantastic. In fact, I was really excited about it because, in my opinion, the, the presentations which I had given in the past, they had been too heady. They had been too cerebral. It was all about, like, data and information and all of that. And the truth of the matter is all of these presentations are, are really not to have mental just purely cerebral experiences, but something a little bit deeper. So to conclude with, with a ceremony, a particular ceremony, which is going to be river-based, uh, I was excited about it. And, and this woman is very, very drawn to the Susquehanna um, uh, in her own way, and I know that she has gone out to the petroglyphs, one of the few people that I know who've actually taken the, the time to go and get on a boat and go out into the to the petroglyphs and she did that a couple of years ago that's always been a big thing for her and um and what you'll probably find interesting as she was doing some of the pre the pre-presentation um you know marketing for lack of a better word i think she did like a couple things on like instagram live or whatever you call that Dirt at the river as she was doing that, a uh, and you could see this in the video, uh, which is posted on Instagram as she was talking about it. You could see that there is a hawk comes and lands probably about five, ten feet behind her and picks up a rodent and just starts eating it in the camera. Wow. So you and I have talked. So, <laughs> so, so when she told me that, I was like, all right, all right, all this stuff is happening. So, okay, so where am I going with this? So, we go, we do the presentation, I give my portion of the presentation, and then afterwards, uh, she, she leads the ceremony. And to be quite honest, the ceremony was a little bit different than what I expected. So when, we, when she and I talked about it, I was like, listen, you, you know, this is your place, and you do ceremonies a lot, and I'm happy to participate, and, and you do what you got to do. I kind of gave her a, a green light to do what she does. And I was thinking it was going to be a little bit more about the Susquehanna River, but it turned out to be a little bit more focused on uh, a person's inner work. You know, it was uh, what I thought was, was a, a pretty in-depth uh, uh, kind of ceremonial thing, calling in the four directions, and then she went around and she with a feather and dipped it in, in water and 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 wiped it on each person's face and, and, and said a little um, prayer, for lack of a better word. So it was this very intimate sort of of of, of experience, and <laughs> I'm kind of laughing to myself because I, was like, I don't know if people were really anticipating that this is what it was going to be. But nonetheless, nonetheless, it was um, it was uh, um, 
I thought I thought that it was a really interesting anchor to all of this heady stuff, which I was just talking about, and then getting out of like this headiness experience and going into something else. And on the drive home, uh, it, it and probably that whole evening, Jenny and I we, we spent a, a good amount of time just like kind of like deconstructing the whole thing and, and walking through. Um, you know, everything which, which we experienced and were feeling during it, because it definitely was, um, uh, uh, what's, what's the word I want to use? It, it required a lot of unpacking because, you know, we went through something. We didn't realize, you know, we didn't know what we went through, but internally we both felt like, you know, what the hell was that? What did, what did we just go through? So, okay, so that all happened the next day, the very next day. The very next day, um, I am um, I'm looking at uh, just like you know the normal sort of chatter boards where I like to see what people are talking about. I like to go to a place called Godlike Productions. It's a message board. It's often called the lunatic the lunatic fringe. Uh, it's a perfect intersection between disinformationists, uh, uh, truthers. Um, uh, CIA, uh, lunatics, like all of that. Like, you know, you never know what you're going to get, but I, wow. I kind of like that. That's why I call it like the chatterboard. It's like, you know, it's just chatter. You don't know what's real, what's not right. real, but you see what people are talking about. And I just kind of scroll down it and it's, 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 it's got like, you know, hundreds of topics which you could click in. And I, you know, I just kind of half paying attention and then something caught my attention, like uh, uh, one of the, the titles of one of the threads. So I click on that and the thread said um it was britain britain gives france 48 hours um to respond and then it's it's going to get tough the gloves are going to come off or do you have any idea what i'm talking about with that storyline no but i just went to godlikeproductions.com and i love the idea of a virtual country club that talks about all this stuff <laughs> Godlike Productions has been like part of my world for at least a decade. It's completely ch- like all things the internet. But nonetheless, so it had this story, and I was like, "What's going on in Britain, France?" I hadn't heard anything like this, and so I go and I, I, I read about it. And so the long and the short of it is, is there is what is probably in Britain and France, but not necessarily you know affecting you and I here in North America. Um, there is a a international waters dispute over who has the rights to um, for fishing. It's a commercial fishing dispute, and it has implications with with uh, Britain pulling out of 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 the EU and and who can who can fish here and like France is is concerned about the livelihoods of the commercial fishers fishermen of France and like the British, you know, all this whole sort of things. And like what came to a head was a, a British commercial fishing boat was seized. And I'm not certain if it's seized by the the French government or just like the people, but it was seized. And so that's what, what the response from Britain was about. Like, you know, you've got 48 hours before we get tough and it kind of, position that you know there'll be it'll be a legal toughness not necessarily that they're going to start dropping bombs but you know who knows um right. so i'm looking at this article and i'm like okay 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 what's going on and then i see all of this is centered around 
where the where this boat where this this British fishing boat was seized and now it's being held captive and I say that with quotation marks is in a port city in France called La Havre. Are you familiar with La Havre? No. Okay. So I am. In fact, I talked about it the day before. <laughs> I talked about it when I was at my Susquehanna presentation. So the majority of the presentation, or at least for me, what I was really talking about was consciousness, and then the second half was about the river and, and why that was important, specifically about the Susquehanna River. And I was giving all sorts of, all sorts of, of, of details into many, many, many of the stories associated with the Susquehanna River. And one of the ones which I find very fascinating is this parallel between the Susquehanna River, which we find in Pennsylvania and Maryland and New York State, and a river which we find in France. It's called the Seine. The Seine is the primary river in France. It's the river that goes through that goes through Paris when you see like Notre Dame and, and uh, that which is on an island in the river. That's the river that it's on. And the reason why there is a parallel, or at least where the parallel begins, is the name Sen is a, a Latinized name. It is the name given to this river during the, the conquests of Julius Caesar. But the Celtic name, the, the, for the people of Gaul, that's what France was known. What we think of as France, it used to be called Gaul, and they called that river the Sequana. Mm. And so that's just like the beginning of it. And so there's like all, there's so many, like it's so fascinating when you begin to see all of these parallels between the Sequana and the people who worship the Sequana, who are called the Sequani and the Susquehanna and the Susquehanna. Right. And, right, and it right. just goes on and on and on. And all this sort of like goddess symbology is, is really embedded in that story. But one of the details which I like to point out in terms of the similarities is if going to the Susquehanna River right now, the Susquehanna River is a river, and then it transitions into an estuary, and that estuary is called the Chesapeake Bay. An estuary is um, it's uh, it's brackish water. It's a blending between between fresh water and salt water from where the Atlantic Ocean like kind of comes up, and it flooded the lower Susquehanna Valley. But there is a very very clear demarcation from where from when it is is just purely river, you know, fresh flowing water, and then it becomes the, the Chesapeake Bay. Right. And that happens to be where Aberdeen um, Proving Grounds is, the first computer. Like, I talk about this area a lot, and I talk about it being geologically significant because it's the transitions that are most important. Everything which we see in our physical reality, the liminal spaces, the in-between, they're always significant. Well, it, regardless of what it's transitioning before, in between. And the city, there is a town, I guess town's probably a better word, the town which we find in Maryland, where, and in Maryland is where the river transitions to, to the Chesapeake Bay. We find a little town, a historical town, and that town is called Haverty Grace, Maryland. Okay. And if you do a little bit of research into Haverty Grace, Haverty Grace is named after a French town. And what is that French town? La Havre. 
Okay, so I've always known that La Havre and Haverty Grace were, were connected that way. And where is La Havre? At the very end of the Seine River or the Sequana River, where it empties into, this river is a north-flowing river, and it empties out into the English Channel. And so there is the similarity how both Haverty Grace sits in this location where the Sequana River then transitions into another form of river, a, or another form of water, uh, an estuary, and the town it's named after sits on the Sequana River, and it is where the Sequana River then transitions into um, transitions into the you know I guess the sea. It's in, it's where the channel is, the 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 water in between the island of Great Britain and and the mainland of of Europe. So there's these similarities, and that that to me has always just been been a more or less just like a data point further enhancing this similarity between the Susquehanna and the Seine. And just the day before, um, I see that there's this international event, this international event at Le Havre. Like I was literally in front of people during this like deep ceremony in Cumberland, New Cumberland on the Susquehanna River, talking about Le Havre. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, huh. That's kind of interesting. I mean, just the timing, the timing of this. Like, you know, I talk about that, and then this pops up, and so I look a little bit deeper. And I see there's a story where it makes reference to the captain of the ship, which was seized, the British ship, ship that was seized. And this gentleman's name, and before I say this gentleman's name, um, are you familiar with, and I'll, I'll say this, uh, I say this with a little bit of tongue-in-cheekness, but like a, an, alt, an, a, an, alternate, an alternative identity I like to play around with, which I call it Johnny Wan. Yeah. Um, you ever heard me talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the shit, like on the shirt, like the guy crossing the river, that's Johnny right. Wan. And so where, where that story has come from, and so we're going to go down this line for a little bit before we come back. But in my, you know, and I, I say this all kind of fun, I say tongue-in-cheek, like I don't take it too seriously, but I don't take it like not seriously at all, is um, if you look at the history of the Scottish gypsies, um, there was a, a character by the name, uh, he, was no, he had the title of King of the Gypsies, which was the highest title uh, for, for, these, for these people. Um, there was a there was a, a gypsy, a king of the gypsy, whose name was Johnny Wan. He was from the the family. Uh, his father was Johnny Fa, F A A. Uh, Johnny Wan is spelled J O H N N E, and then W A N N E. And the Wan name doesn't make any sense. And like it, it, it if you can see like the history uh, of the the king of the gypsies and and. It just captured my imagination. It captured my imagination, particularly because my family line, where the last name Juan comes from, had been unknown to me, had been unknown to me um, because my father didn't know it for a variety of, 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 of reasons, um, because, well, because more or less his father was, was an orphan. So that being said, because I did not know the history of my last name, 
uh, this is about four or five years ago, I adopted, I adopted my lineage of me being from the, from the family line of Johnny Wad, of the King of the Gypsies. And so I play with it. I play with that in a fun way, but I'm also saying, like, I ain't got nothing else to explain. And also this Johnny Wan character was supposedly uh, um, uh, booted out of Scotland, and he moved to Virginia, like, in the late 1500s, or late 1600s. Like, this is the time frame. There's all sorts of interesting things. So about a year ago, about a year ago, um, about a year ago, Someone sent me some information about my about my family history, my the Wan family history. And when I first got it, I was like, "How's this person going to know who or what I was?" You know, I was a little bit like, you know, on the defensive about it. Like, I don't know this. I know how would they know about this? But sure enough, it was everything which was suggested um, on my family lineage. I was able to verify. As I said, my 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 grandfather who died before I was born. Um, he was an orphan, and it was from this. That's all I knew about him, and his last name was Juan. And I did not really know, like, well, what do you mean, like an, an orphan? I had no picture in my mind. I never really heard the story from my father about what it means, other than the fact that it was an orphan. Long and short of it is, his parents died when he was a child, but he was still raised by 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 blood kin. Like I believe it was his uncles that were that raised him. So the family name Juan is, you know, there, there's a continuity. He just wasn't raised by his, his parents. So when I got this, this piece of information, right, saying that this is who my great, great grandfather was, uh, through the use of all of the, the ancestry um, databases, I was able to see that everything lines up. I'm like, yeah, this, the, this is where, this is where my father lived and this is my grandmother. And I was able to go and I was able to reconstruct. I was able to reconstruct my family last name all the way back to the very first Juan who arrived in the new world. And this is probably in around 17, 1740, I believe, is when the very first Juan arrived. And who this Juan was. So the one thing I could find about him which really struck out, struck to me, was how he was um, he was a drummer in a revolutionary war um, battalion from Pennsylvania. Right. And you know, for people who are really into like genealogy and very much into particularly American history, like that's a that's a real like status sort of thing to have like a family member who was in the Revolutionary War. And if you had an officer who was a member, like even more so, I mean, that's the whole, the whole society of Cincinnati is just like people who are officers, family lines that were, had officers in the Revolutionary War. But nonetheless, so I'm like, holy crackers, you know, this has never been my hot button genealogy, but I go and I see, like, I can see this one. And even more interestingly, like that person lived in Pennsylvania, more or less uh, where I'm living right now. I didn't grow up in where I live in Lancaster right now. I grew up in Maryland. And so I'm reading all this. I see he's a, I see that he is a, a, a drummer. Like imagine like what, what, what drumming represents in terms of like, you know, bringing people to battle. Like it's, it's, it's kind of like it's setting the tone for movement. And he's, he's a player in this like key historical uh, event. And you know what the guy's name was? Juan. John Juan. 
So now I, I've been saying for years beforehand that I come from the king of the gypsies. I come from the king of the gypsies. And his name is Johnny Wad. And then I go and I see, uh, and this is like in the late 1600s. This is the late 1600s. And then I see in the 1700s, there really is someone in my family line who first comes to, you know, the colonies at that time. And he was a drummer in the, in the, in the Revolutionary War. And his name is John Wan. And I'm like, motherfucker, John Wan. What the <laughs> hell is going on? And I'm, again, like, I, 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 I take this with, like a, with, a, with a playfulness. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know what this is. Is this a coincidental? Is this like, did I make this happen? What's the nature of reality? I don't know, but I do know that I have these data points that match up. And so I've kept that in my, like, mental bag of tricks for the past year or so. All right. So let's go back to the story which we're talking about. So the story that began this was I go and I have this, 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 this intense, deep, experience on the Susquehanna, uh, dealing with like, you know, uh, this Brazilian esotericist who does this deep sort of ceremony. And then the next day I see that there's an international incident happening at, um, the, the, the paralleled river on the other side of the Atlantic. So I see all that happening. I'm like, wow, this is all going on. And then I go and I see the captain of the name of the ship of the person who is having this experience. And guess what his name is? One. <laughs> well, it's not it's it's not a friggin' bullseye, but we're not dealing with exactly like you know you don't have to be like in the circle, but man is a close. His name is John D. J O N D Y Ward W A R D. Okay. And I'm like, it ain't Johnny Wan, but it's a whole <laughs> lot closer to Johnny Wan than it is a way. So my, my takeaway, and so a friend of mine, I shared this, I shared this with, with, with one of my good friends. I was like, well, what do you make of this? And like his first thing was like John D, spelled J-O-N-D-Y. He was like, sounds a little bit like John D to me, like, you know, the <laughs> whether John D Rockefeller or John D the magician. But here I have, like, I've got this really strange this really strange um, set of coincidences, wordplay that is timed so perfectly with this 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 um, experience, which I participated in, led part of it, and so forth. And so I've got that sitting on my lap. So before I go deeper with that, I want to give an opportunity for you to kind of like comment or or say any ask any questions or anything along those lines. Oh man, no! I, I am slightly familiar with some of this. We've talked about a few of these things, but no, I, I, I just, um, you have me at the edge of my seat here, Mike. All right, all right. So now, so now, it's getting. Now we're going to go a little bit deeper because everything's context. It's like you know, you, you have a piece of information whatever that piece of information may be. And then we interpret it or we understand it or we look at it through a particular lens. You know, that's the context. And depending upon what that lens is and what that context is, like can completely, um, can completely change the depth in, in what that information can be. I mean, it's the whole idea of being able to hide something in plain sight is it's information where people don't have the right context to look at it, so they just kind of ignore it. So I just described to you the situation 
where there was, uh, to me, a double level coincidence, aka synchronicity. One being, um, you know, the the Susquehanna Sequana, and then the name associated with the person, John D. Ward, Johnny Wan. They've got the same initials. They've got the same kind of cadence. Like W A R D is very close to, uh, similarly to like W A N N. The R and the the N kind of look similar and so forth. But we've also seen like the difference from John Wan, uh, my my actual or or, or proof as much proof as you're going to get from like ancestry.com um, ancestry connection to this, this mythical Johnny Wan King of the gypsies. But what's happened with both with those two names is there was a little bit of a, a bastardization between the spelling of the name. John goes from J J O H N to J O H N N E. Wan goes from W A N N to W A N N E. And it's, you know, with your own, um, with your own last name, like you know, there there can be these like these bastardizations within the name, but you can you can see how they they there's a connectivity or there's a continuity right. um, throughout them, and and using that as a logic, like you know, at first like John D John D Ward and Johnny Wan aren't the same, but when you look at it at, in terms of like, well, what about like you know a little bit of playfulness with the bastardization of names? You're like, yeah, you know, maybe it's more similar than less similar. So that being said, um, prior to prior to doing the presentation, prior to that, there's been something else in the in the outside world which happened last week, which really really captured my attention. Any guess what it may be? Anything jump out in your in your awareness in the last year, in the last week? In the last week, well, yeah. <laughs> with like the- this, this being like a this being like a mainstream sort of storyline. Mm, no, I mean I'm. You're asking the wrong guy. I never. Really I'm asking the wrong the guy, news. and that, that's a good thing to do. That's a really good thing to do. Um, the news is. But this, and, this, this, I will say, um, I, I'm doing. I've been doing a podcast with a friend where we break down the uh, historical and alchemical properties of each element on the table of elements. And yesterday we looked into titanium and we found, you know, who invent or who discovered it. And uh, we found this new article and this could be a total tangent, but I, it's worth mentioning um, about how Maxine, which is this new type of um, sprayable antenna, it's made out of titanium carbide and they basically are going to use it to to conduct 5G and turn living trees into 5G towers. So that's that's what I heard recently. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's it. That's yeah. it. Dark stuff. All right. So, and, and maybe we'll come back to that. Yes. The story that, that captured my attention, which from my lens, from the way which, you know, I interpret reality, was the rebranding of Facebook to Meta. So, so what happened? There, there are a couple of things. There are a couple of things to look at. Like on the most basic level, like do you know how? I don't know. About five or six years ago, the um, Google they introduced a new 
overarching umbrella company, which all of their different companies would fall underneath. So mm. Google is not the name of the, the, the company as it's listed on the stock exchange, but, but they changed their name to Alphabet. Right. Do you remember this? So, so Facebook more or less is doing the same thing. And they're doing it kind of, I mean, there's a lot of ways of looking at it. Like one way is it's, it's, it's kind of uh, a common practice public relations play that when a big company has a lot of negative publicity that they rebrand, you know, you've seen this done with like uh, the tobacco companies uh, and, and, to, and Facebook is, you know, recently um, been under the gun. Um, you know, there's like congressional hearings and like whistleblowers and, and stuff like that. So like on a certain level, it's like, you know, this is Facebook getting away from, from what they were, but that's not what, that's not what's really happening. What they did was, I mean, that's happening. Yes. There's a truth to that, but there's much, much, much more to this in my opinion. Mm. And so they're changing their name to meta. And so it is a reference to what is called the metaverse. Do you know what the metaverse is? Yeah. And it's a hard thing to, to a hard concept, I suppose, to really articulate. So let's go first and like define like or explain what the metaverse is just so we're all on the same page. All right. I'll go first because I'm first. sure my explanation is going to be, uh, let's just say, the mind but also cyberspace. But particularly I would define it maybe as like the the social aspects of the Internet, like where people are interacting, not like the code – and whatnot, but the metaverse is like the actual words, thoughts, and art on the internet. Is it, am I wrong? Yes. Am I off? <laughs> I mean, again, I mean, it's 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 these are conceptual words right now, so there's no right or wrong. It's 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 trying to to uh, to be able to articulate what this is. So, right. what the metaverse is, the way how I understand it, the way I envision it, is. Right now, when you have an internet experience, you are like a user in front of a screen, right? You're watching the internet from, from, from wherever you're sitting in front of your laptop or, your, or whatever, you're, you're looking at it. Yes. So the metaverse is the, next, is, is the term to describe what the next level experience will be. And so no longer will you be a, a external witness looking at a screen as much as you are going to be immersed within the experience. Okay, this is the coming together of all of the different technologies with you being in it. All right? So, so that's going to the, the most basic way when, when people think about it is, like imagine the person who is just has their VR glasses on and they're completely immersed in whatever it is they're doing with these VR glasses. And so right now it's primarily used for like a, a gaming type environment where you put your VR glasses on and you have some sort of like game or something like that. But the metaverse is like, no, the entire internet experience is done that way. And so, so you've got your, 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 your immersive virtual reality glasses, whatever they may be. And then also some sort of, biofeedback suit which might be to your body so that 
you're actually feeling things also within um, within within your body, okay? But then it's not limited to like let's say like I'm just going to play this one game right now. You can have that experience, and you're just playing a game. But this is the entire internet experience. You are inside it, okay? There's entire world. So if you've seen if you've seen the movie Ready Player Go, Ready Player One. Do you know what movie? Have you ever seen that film? Do you know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. Can't say I've seen it. So it's ba- that's basically showing like a metaverse, like where you go in and it right. is just one continuous. It is one continuous internet experience. You in this internet experience are you bring everything which you have everywhere you go like you can hop into like a game environment and your avatar is always the same you go from that but then you go into your office because in your office there is a virtual office which all of these different people come you're not seeing like zoom screens but you are looking through your virtual reality glasses and it looks like you're rendered in a room and that room could be like an outer space station you know it could be all of this like fantastic sort of stuff and so the purpose of what this Facebook rebranding is, is they're saying, listen, we're putting all of our money, we're putting all of our money into uh, the advancement of the metaverse. Like right now, it's just kind of an idea. Like the, the technology supposedly does not exist for everyone to go, to go and have these experiences. And this is going to be where everything comes together. Like the, the, and so he, Zuckerberg gives this hour-long presentation, which is when he introduces their new brand. They're called Meta. And then they show like all of the potentiality of, of like their cutting-edge new technologies and their vision of the future. Okay? Mm-hmm. How are you feeling? Like, can you picture... Kind of like what 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 the metaverse is now is that a little bit more clear? Yeah, yeah, way way different than um, I I tried to define it, but yeah, like, that's like, like it, everything I've been <laughs> I've been uh, afraid of with the the whole video game culture. You know, um, I remember that what really comes to mind is like, and I'll keep this really brief because I know you're in the middle of this, but one of my earliest earliest childhood memories was like a dream where it you know and this is in the 90s so i I, maybe i saw it in a tv show or a movie but you know this this like really vivid dream where i was in a computer simulation like eight walls you know or you know four walls and the floor and the ceiling and just like a it, it was like you're in like uh, the movie Tron almost, and that's what you brought to mind when you described the metaverse as this dream I had when I was really young, uh, and it you know it felt like I was in uh, you know a movie or something you know, and it was one of the earliest dreams I I had, and I pondered it you know through my childhood like oh, what was that you know and and I I'm afraid to to give the simulation theory any credit by describing it like that but it was definitely a weird weird simulated room that i was dreaming of 
so Tron, it, these ideas have been dripped into our consciousness yeah. for quite a, quite a while. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, 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 that's what, that, that makes sense. I can see all of that. I can see them in these different movies and so forth. And another, um, but it's not, it's not limited, you know, just to like a video game. It is quite literally a alternative reality. We talked about ARGs before. This is an immensely immersive ARG. This becomes a reality. And there were so many things. The presentation which, which Zuckerberg did was obviously positioned in a very, very um, uh, positive, um, this is going to be an amazing future. We're going to be able to do all of the, you know, it, it, it's positioned in those sort of terms. But when you begin to listen to all of the things which, which were being said, so it was an hour-long presentation. If you were to go and search, and I'd recommend everyone to go and watch it. If you're going to go and search on YouTube, and you'll see a variety of clips. You'll see like a one-minute clip. You'll see a 10-minute clip. And those make up the majority of available videos. You want to watch the full one. You want to watch the full one hour, the full presentation, or at least that's what I did, um, to really see all of the things which were being said. And when you see all the things that are being said, like you know, it's <laughs> one, it shouldn't be any surprise. But but two, you'd be like, all right, this is this is where it's going. And there are a couple of things that really kind of jumped out at me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to focus on one. I'll, I'll do two. First thing is, though, um, you know, I'll just throw this out in the beginning. Uh, Zuckerberg talks about the word meta and why they're choosing to call their, the new company meta is because he says that when I was a child, I love the classics. I love reading like uh, classics, not like like classic literature, but like classics referring to like uh, the the classical period, like Greek and uh, Greek time period. And in Greek, the word meta means beyond. And so this is that's why why we use the word meta. Why we're using that? It's the beyond. But. The Greek meaning of of meta is from um, is a secondary word based upon an older use of meta, and that would be Hebrew. And you know, it's kind of funny, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg being a uh, a good little Jewish boy, like not making reference to the Hebrew, but making reference to the <laughs> to the to the Greek. But in Hebrew, meta means death. So he's so this is quite literally the death word. You know, you can define that any way, or you can interpret that any way you want, like whether it's like void of life or like this is going to be the end. I don't know. But, but that's built into the language of this metaverse. But this is what really kind of um, jumped out at me. This is what jumped out at me. And this is why I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to loop it back to the story which I just told you. Um, I'm watching it, and they're giving all of – Throughout the presentation, it would go from like Mark just, you know, as a as a as a seeming human being talking to the camera and explaining all this sort of stuff, and then it would cut to computer animation of what it would look like uh, experientially to be in the metaverse. And so they have all of these different avatars of different people, and it shows, you know, him and all of his friends getting together, and. The animation which they use 
the quality which they use is, I don't know, like 10 years old. Like you look at it and you're like, this is what things look like 10 years ago. Like if you're trying to go and paint a picture of the future, like why are you using these like silly looking cartoons? You know, we know, we know that deep fake reality is, is deep fake technology is, is, is commonplace nowadays. Like, why are you going to make it look like this? And then also I would highly recommend watching the movie uh, Ready Player Go as a complementary understanding of what, they're, of, of what the metaverse is going to look like. And so you embedded in, this, in, in, in the, the metaverse, which they're, they're envisioning, like already right off the bat is like you've got to pay to play. It's like, oh, we're going to make certain that everyone can get this one level of, of, of hardware equipment, goggles, and so forth. And we're going to keep that price at really, really low. We'll, 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 we'll sell it at cost so everyone can afford it. But then there's going to be, like, another set of equipment, which is going to have a whole bunch of other technologies, which, you know, it's for people who've got a lot of money to play with. And so there's that. And, and if you're going to – you're going to want to have, like – your own home space, and you're probably going to have to pay rent for, for people who are going to develop those home spaces so you could have your own unique one, like all this sort of stuff. Like it's, it's the, the world which we have right now is going to then, the, the way that that's set up, this pay-to-play sort of system, is going to follow itself into, into this metaverse. Um, and there's going to be, uh, you know, this is where everything's going to be blockchain. Every single transaction is going to be recorded for history. You know, all the cryptocurrencies, this is where you get to go and use it. And there's going to be a bleed over between your meta universe, your meta experience, your metaverse experience, and your quote unquote material reality experience. But if you really want to go in and, and, and put it into a broader picture, um, you know, you look at both Ready Player Go and in the Hunger Games, and those two movies are, are linked as well. They show this future where there are – we'll use the words districts. That's what they used inside of, inside of uh, um, the Hunger Games that, that for the most part, there are going to be a couple of districts which are going to be really nice and fancy and all sorts of like cutting-edge technology and glamour. But uh, the overwhelming majority is going to be like really kind of uh, depressed and, and impoverished and – in an environment like that and very li- limited options in what you can actually do in material reality, in those environments, the metaverse becomes even more appealing because your regular life sucks. And so like now, but you're going to have this amazing, this, this, ma- this amazing metaverse environment. You know, it's this carrot and stick sort of uh, scenario which is unfolding. So I'm watching all of that, and I'm thinking about this, and I was looking at the, car, at the, at the animation. I'm going to go back to the animation, like how bad it is. But then I'm looking at the Mark Zuckerberg character as he's presented as a regular human being. And when you really start looking at it, you're going to go and see. You're going to go and see that that's not a real person. This is completely like computer generated, like the way the light hits it. And, and, and so where I'm going with this is it is within, within – uh, um, Within sales lingo, professional sales lingo, um, what you want to do is give someone a presentation, the, the invisible presentation. You are giving a presentation of your, good and, your goods and services, but the person who is witnessing it doesn't realize that it's a presentation. 
that it feels like so natural that they see it in action. So like that's that's the ideal. Um, what we saw, what 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 Zuckerberg released was a like an invisible presentation of the metaverse because they're showing like, oh, this is what your avatar is going to look like. This really kind of ten year old technology of animation, but the real presentation is who you thought was a real person. No, that was all just what what the computer generated um what the computer generated uh 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 person would look like in the metaverse and probably the best way to think about it is um you know my boys play the the like sports video games like maybe nba games like you'll see basketball players or nfl players rocket and it league. Would show, uh but where you see their faces you oh, see the okay. faces of the players. And you're like, it kind of looks like the person, but it's really clear that it's just a computer animated right, version right, of right. the person. So imagine that like 10 times better. Like that's all what Mark Zuckerberg was. The Mark Zuckerberg who you see in this video, this Mark Zuckerberg you see in this video is just one of those like uh, completely, like I'm not even suggesting it's deep fake. I'm going to say it's just straight up like whatever you get in those, uh, however they create, the characters for the video games. This is just that um, with better technology. And it would make sense because if Facebook is about technology or is a technology company uh, dealing with technology, they're go- and if they're going to roll out what their next latest right, and greatest right, product right. is, they're not going to use something that's 10 years old. They're going to use something that's just much more advanced. And then throughout this whole presentation, it's talking about like this blending of reality of like, you know, it's, it's going to become very, very unclear what is, um, what is material reality and what is, um, what is happening in, in just like this metaverse, completely false digital reality. And if you think about that, like, you know, that, that's going to lead to questions about reality itself, like, you know, the nature of reality. You brought it up yourself, and you're like, you know, I try not to put too much emphasis on the computer simulation model. I don't know if that's true or not, but, but we do – what we can all agree upon is, like, we, we live in a mystery. We don't know where we are, how we got here, and so forth. So I'm watching this. And I've been thinking about this for a week. I've watched the video a couple times. I'm taking notes. I'm going to do like a really good deep dive presentation on this because I think it's really important to talk about because uh, as history shows us, when they roll out and tell you what the future is going to look like, it tends to be more accurate than less accurate, and particularly if you go along with it. So I'm thinking about all of this sort of stuff and, and just the idea of, what is the real technology? They're showing me. They're showing me something. They're telling me that that the 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 metaverse is going to look like this cartoon. But at the same time, the entire presentation is a much more sophisticated um, technology in play. And there's something really ironic in the fact that Mark Zuckerberg says numerous times throughout the presentation that you know all the other tech companies they are built around connecting you to the technology. But we are the company that it uses technology to connect you to other human beings. That's what, that's what we're all about. And I'm like, this is the least – like the, the one thing everyone knows about Mark Zuckerberg is like he is the least human feeling, whether he's a person <laughs> or a robot or not. Like everyone knows that. And this is the spokesperson when he's going to bring humanity and technology together. Like that in itself is rather ironic. But nonetheless, I'm watching this, 
and I'm thinking, like, where does the presentation end? What are they telling? There's, like, definitely a mocking part of it. Um, and, and there's so much more I can go in this presentation, but I don't want to do it right now. Um, it got me thinking. It really got me thinking. Um, back to an experience I had about four years ago when I brought my children down to see my parents who live in Florida, and my parents brought me and the children to Universal Studios. And mm. we took a ride, and we took a Harry Potter ride, and basically all it is is you sit on this, this like um, this this bench, and the bench moves like not a lot, but it moves like maybe up and down and leans forward and leans back. At the same time, they show you all of these screens, and I'm going into it. This is five years ago. I'm going into this like completely like one fascinated like okay, I'm going to go learn something, but um, but two like knowing what I'm stepping into, which is I know that this is. This is kind of like a mind fuck. Like what they're doing is they are showing optical images while moving my body. And um, that's going to create the illusion from my experience that I'm actually doing what, what's happening in the screen. So what the screens were like, I was supposedly Harry Potter flying around on a broom and it would show like all of these images of, of things happening on the screens as the bench which you're sitting on is gently moving, like, in accordance to what you're seeing. I know all of this consciously. I know what's happening. Yet, it felt exactly like I was having that experience. Like, despite the fact that I was conscious of what was happening, I, my body still thought this was really happening. Like, my stomach would go up in my mouth when it looked like I was dropping 100 feet. I wasn't dropping 100 feet, but it felt like that. And so when I'm watching this, I know firsthand that my mind and my body can be tricked. And in, the, in the, the example which I'm talking about with the Universal Studios, I was at least aware of what was happening. But then if I'm, if I'm being realistic with myself, I have to say that there is a blind spot. And the, if you are going to be realistic with yourself and you say that I have a blind spot, and what that blind spot is, there are things which I can't know are happening the next thing is, I don't know how big my blind spot is. Like, how much is fake? How much is real? So going back to going back to this whole sort of like metaverse thing, and like realizing that the presentation which they're showing you is like not the real presentation. What you think is like the animation is not the animation. It is like what you think is real is the animation. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking, I'm like, well, what else is fake and what else is real? So that was in my mind leading up to the entire presentation in which I gave uh, on Saturday. Uh, the whole metaverse thing, I think that came out on Wednesday or Thursday. I was thinking about that. Um, I go, I, I give the presentation, and then the day after that, this whole thing, which I only know about because of the Internet. You know, I'm not in France. I'm not anywhere like that. But I'm seeing, like, a immensely personal synchronicity between John D. Ward and the Le Havre on the Seine happened right afterwards, all of these things, and it's all coming from the Internet. And I'm like, what is real and what is not? What is the nature of what is happening? And so I, I'm not coming to any sort of conclusion on what, what's real or what's not, but I, I had this, this, this experience this past week, which just kind of left me scratching my head. And this ties into what we're talking about before, like your Turkey Hill experience and my Turkey Hill experience. 
and then the or like the order of the orange and then orange connecticut and all of these things and then what we can see and, the, and this is the one last the last thing i'm going to say before i stop talking i want to hear what you got to say because it's a lot was the last clue the last clue uh in terms of how to navigate what they're telling us is which is to come which I am open to the idea because it exists within a potential blind spot, which may have already happened, and we don't even realize it's happened, is how do we know which reality we are in? Because the, the technosphere and the technologies and all of that, like you, know, you just said it yourself, that they're telling us that they're going to have a titanium spray technology, which is going to turn baseline reality trees into antennas for a 5G technology, which may or may not even exist. It could just be like an idea as part of the, the hypnosis. But like, where does that line exist? Is it already in play? Where are we? So the last piece of this, the last clue is, as I said before, watch Ready Player One in concert and in harmony with what is being told to you by Mark Zuckerberg in this presentation. And within that movie, when you begin to recognize that all of the movies which we see are part of the conditioning, part of the, uh, if you will, the, the metaverse, because it's telling you how to see things, it's creating context, but they also do have Easter eggs. They also do contain some truth within them. And they're all connected, particularly on a certain, uh, certain top-tier level. Within Player One, within Ready Player One, there is a character by the name of Nolan. And so within my, within my symbol system, within Mike's personal symbol system, like when I see Nolan, and particularly in the context of movies, I'm going to go straight to Christopher Nolan. Christopher Nolan, the director. Mm. And one of the films which Christopher Nolan uh, made was called Inception. Now, Inception deals purely with the dream space, but now we're beginning to recognize, like, you know, we still don't know where we go when we dream. We don't know what happens when we dream, but we know that the dream space is something which is something which is, uh, A, naturally occurring and, two, mysterious and seemingly separate, though connected to our existing uh, physical reality. In the movie, the in, in, in Inception, the, a, you know, uh, a key part of that movie was was hacking in. Well, the movie was about hacking into other people's dreams and having them think that what is actually a dream is reality. So that you're going in people's dreams, you're implanting subliminal thoughts where they think it's reality, and then they act in material reality as if what happened in the dream was true. This is exactly what I'm talking about. I'm like, where does the metaverse end? Where does our material reality mm, begin? Right. Like, you know, we're seeing all of this is in play. So within the movie Inception, and they are doing a wink, wink, nod, nod by having a character named Nolan in the movie Ready Player One. And Ready Player One deals with create. Uh, there's one scene where they have a false. Uh, or, they have someone thinking they are out of the, the metaverse, but they actually are still in it, exactly what it, uh, Inception is all about, but using dreams instead of uh, technology. Within Inception, the key which each individual needs to have is uh, in, in Inception, they showed it as a top. 
but what the top was was something which is so personal. You can't ever tell anyone what your personal thing is that it cannot be replicated because what they're doing in the metaverse and what they're doing in Inception is replicating what you think is your material environment so well that you might think that you're actually in it. Just like as I was saying with, with this trip, this ride on, or at Universal Studios, I knew I was on a ride, but my body and my brain thought I was actually having an experience. <laughs> we, having one of these tools which no one would know but yourself, like in Inception, it was a top, so that you could look in your pocket and you could say, do I have that? Do I have this, this, this bottle, my lucky bottle cap? Do I have this crystal? Do I have this, this other thing which, which only I know I carry with me? That is your key to know where you are at because where we are going with the technology and they're telling us right now is that you're not going to know where that line is going to be, the blurred lines. The, the lines are becoming more and more blurred. And so to bring this all the way back, I talked to you last week. We talked about um, we talked about uh, a, a book, a book where I, about the the Native American peace, peacemaker. This is one of my top books, one of my top go to books. That book is gone. My Gaia Matrix. That book is gone. This week, two crystals, my primary crystals. Those crystals are gone. Couple scenarios. Scenario number one: I misplaced them. That's possible. Or I gave them away, and I don't remember giving them away. That's certainly possible. I think it's unlikely, but it's, it's possible. Scenario number two, um, maybe someone broke in my house and stole it. Maybe that's possible. I don't think that's possible. I don't think that's likely. I don't think that happened, but I do say that's certainly possible. Or scenario number three, I'm living in a metaverse right now. I'm living in this false reality, and these small things, you know, we're already in this blended sort of world where we can't tell what we're at. And, and those, those small personal devices did not make it over to where I am right now. So those are the different scenarios which I'm going to lay on your plate. I gave you a whole bunch of stuff. What do you got to tell? Oh, man. Well, first things first, I hope you find that book. And I hope you find those crystals because... Yeah, that book is really interesting. And then on the side of the metaverse, I mean, you're putting so many pieces together. I feel like my generation just got, you know, absorbed right into it, you know. You were born into it. You yeah. were born into it. You're absolutely right. And the people who are like two, three, four years old right now, they're born into it even more than you are. Right. I was born into it even more than the people who are, you know, my elders. And I like even this is a continuity. And I'm going even further to like the media as a part of this because I think now we're seeing how there's like this continuity of reality that you can create and it's totally augmented based on, you know, this and then you see it with the uh where they they find ads for you based on what they think you'll like. You know, you see all these suggested products and people are like oh my gosh they're listening to me on my phone because i said uh something about toyota trucks and now i have ads on my phone for toyota trucks you know it's like what's going on i see it happening you know in the past 10 years it's this metaverse being created and i brought up the wikipedia of it you know wikipedia 
Uh, I just had a guy on my podcast named Slick Dissonant who broke down the word Wikipedia as uh, the keepers of uh, wisdom. I forget exactly how he traced those together, uh-huh. but but um, but I'll I'll send that over to you when I publish the episode. At least that just that one clip, or maybe we'll revisit that as well. But the other thing that stood out when I searched metaverse is this image of five sort of animated shapes seemingly like planets in like a little universal scape and it just brings to mind this like five elements and when you search this term metaverse a lot of articles use this either this picture or another picture that also curiously has like five sort of um distinct characters each a different color and each uh, you know held around a, a circle and it just brings to mind like some sort of occultism going on here, you know, and and I just yeah, it's it's fascinating to uh, to imagine just the difference, you know, of uh, of people on the planet right now. Because I know I'm not one of them, but there's many many people who are wholeheartedly a hundred percent so excited for this kind of thing, and you know, meanwhile we're doing a podcast using a phone <laughs> because we're trying to get away from this whole concept as much as we possibly can to leave room for the, you know, the humanity and the conversation, I guess, you know, instead of looking at an artificial rendering of each other, we're, we're just speaking, you know, in a, in a, in a more antiquarian way, but it's still using technology. You know, this is much different than having a face to face conversation um but yeah i i i think the the other thing that came to mind when you were bringing up the earlier part with uh the connections to your genealogy and and looking into it and and the the idea that you had merging with the reality you know i am very fascinated in all of this ley line stuff obviously and somebody who talks a lot about ley lines that who i, I I'm almost certain you're familiar with a guy named Bradbury Court Lindahl. Have you heard of him or his uh, work before? Doesn't, it doesn't ring a bell right now, but that doesn't mean that I, I'm not familiar with his work. So Court so Lindahl, no, it's fine. Court Lindahl's been on the higher side uh, chats as well. Um, and he talks about the Arcadian mystery. And I had a conversation with my grandmother a couple nights ago where she mentioned how my grandfather is an Arcadian person and he, you know, his father was Arcadian and they're from a spot in Canada where a lot of Acadians left their original location and and settled in like this area uh, in the northern part of Maine, really southern kind of a hump of New Brunswick and uh, and yeah, so it's just interesting there to see, okay, maybe I'm uh, connected to these Acadians somehow, and this uh, Arcadian mystery is something that I should look into further and see if it connects to anything that I've been looking at here with the the Connecticut River, and um, and yeah, I mean, the metaverse so, so, is also so new to me, Mike. I'm just trying to avoid that whole subject as much as possible, as much as it does fascinate me. So what I a couple things. The reason why it's 
it's at least important to be aware of it is because right. of blind spots. Like what exactly, you know, is happening? I think everyone's kind of recognizing that um, we're all rec- we're recognizing that some we- like these subtle weird things have just shifted over the past couple of years. Like it's just you, however you, whatever you want to describe it. So there is at least a question mark of like what is happening in reality this is not the way things used to be oh the sun's a different color or this is different or like so so there's a there's a question mark and 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 if you're not aware of and we can see with the technology that that it's ha- it's changing so fast and if you're not aware of the potentiality of what's being created with the technology and what can be done with it um, that all sits in the blind spot. I'm going to suggest that the very things that you are doing, um, the act of researching ley lines, going out into material reality, looking at ley lines, not with like, you know, not, not, not with like your GPS, not with any sort of computer sort of interaction, but trying to interact with your environment that way. Just that very act. Looking, going off the beaten path, as you said, looking at the landscape, looking at it from a different perspective, I I think that is one of the um, that is one of the techniques of 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 really getting your bearings at least on this baseline reality level. Mm, right. You know, uh, those sort of things. Like that is really really significant. Get out of just like me and you, like me and you having like headspace conversation, but actual like material reality, feet on the ground sort of thing without an expectation per se that like, I'm going to discover this, I'm going to discover that. Use your interest to guide you like, oh, wow, you know, my grandfather had this and this is up in Maine and I'm interested in that. Maybe I should go check this out. Just with that, without any sort, without anything deeper saying, well, and then I'm going to go and discover what and whom I am so I can no, you're doing it. You know, you, there's nothing you need to necessarily, uh, 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 like, have an end goal other than the fact that I'm going to begin the inertia process. I'm going to begin the, the, the action. So I think that's really important. And then I want to say this other thing, which I find very interesting, too. Um, you know, this is, this is a, a question mark for Mike. This is what I hold in my own head is, um, you know, I – I make it known that you know I don't see techno I don't see technology as a positive thing. I don't see it as something which I want to embrace and, and to make like the, the the primary touch point of my life. And I've talked about that. And but at the same time, I do use technology, right? You know, I use Google. I use all that sort of stuff. I use the Google Earth and all of that. Um, in this past probably two weeks. I'm seeing how <laughs> I'm being shut out from it. Or I'm seeing it changed. I think we talked about. Did we talk about how that the um, what once was a split on Google Earth in yeah, my yeah. front door? So that's gone. That's gone. How did that happen? I don't know. Uh, I heard, I got two pieces of feedback. One from you and one from Emily, who I do another show with. And they both were the same thing. And it was people saying uh, people who commented to them. People who commented to them that said they can't hear my voice. Right. They can't hear my voice. And I use completely different – I use different different uh, mediums 
for my voice in, in the, the different programs. Me and you, uh, I just use my phone and headphones. And then when I'm with Emily, I have a microphone and I'm in front of the computer. So it can't, it's not the same device which is causing it. It's just that the, the similarity is that my voice is disappearing in certain people's ears mm. through the medium of technology. Now, perhaps this is all completely disconnected. Or perhaps, or perhaps, like imagine this. There's, so they're telling you that they've got a technology where they spray the trees and they're turning the trees into, into 5G antennas. We know they're spraying. We know there's harp stuff. We know all these sort of things. We know there's all of these technologies that are all around us that we're invisible to. So we are swimming in the technosphere, and we don't even realize it. We can't see it, taste it, touch it, or feel it. But, we can't, but seemingly, that's what we're in. Um, by remaining grounded, I suppose, um, and that's what I would suggest that, you know, that's what you're doing by going on these adventures and studying, like, ley lines and, and seeing your, 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 uh, your, your actual material reality by staying grounded in that, both in terms of, 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 of how you think, your consciousness, but then also in terms of, like, what you do with your, your time, your body, you know, what the, in physical reality – there is a seemingly uh, almost like a, a rejection. You know, you're not going to be part of the metaverse. You know, the metaverse is keeping you out. That's, that's what it looks like to me, <laughs> which is happening right now. We'll see if that keeps occurring, you know, but, but that, is, that is one possibility for certain because right now, right now, if you've not come to, if you've not come to the conclusion that, en- that, that the, the realm of possibility is unknown, at this moment of what's going on, well, I think you're kidding yourself. I think you're also kidding yourself. Like, you know, if you're saying this is definitely happening, like if, if I said for certain, this is definitely I'm being kicked out of the metaverse because the Google line disappeared. Like I, I'm not going to go there either, but this kind of like uncertainty and, and curiosity, I think that is going to be a really important um, approach in terms of navigating uh, as it's getting weirder and weirder and faster and faster. Yeah, for sure. I'm surprised to hear that happen twice in two different situations, but I think the, uh, the audio should be better this time. I played around a bit with the EQ here while you were talking before. Um, and I think it sounds a lot better than it did. So for those out there listening who have been patient with our sound, thank you so much because I am still learning how to professionally use this mixer. And, uh, and yeah, usually when people have their own mixer on the other end, it makes things super easy. But the way Mike and I are doing this with the phone call, I think, makes way for better content in that sense. But anyways... We got a couple interesting messages. I know I forwarded a couple over to you, but we might not have time to get into all those completely, but I just wanted to shout out a guy who's local to my area, Rob B., who's always keeping in touch and sending little tidbits here and there. He said that he helped build a stone abbey somewhere in Bethlehem, 
Connecticut. And I asked him if he would tell me a little bit more about that on the podcast. And he's like, Hey man, I just put the bricks down. I don't know. I don't know all the, all the rest. So shout out to you, Rob B. I appreciate it. And, uh, and keep sending that information your uh, our way. Cause you do have some really cool stuff and don't discount yourself for being blue collar. What else? Uh, so what were some of the other messages? Well, we got one from a dude named, uh, from a dude named Herney, we'll say. That's his, the <laughs> Herney is the, or Hearn. And, uh, and he says, happy Halloween. He really enjoys the series. He's been following you since early 2021, since he heard you on the higher side chats. You've, uh, you've met him in a Skymancy session. And then he also mentions really being fascinated with the ley line story and how the the leys were named after uh alfred watkins a salesman who he he named them after noticing on his sales route that all of these families along this old ancient uh alignment had uh suffix with the you know l-e-y and uh like barclay you know i i don't know insert last name with a suffix lay here but there was a bunch of them and that's how the name allegedly uh got Layline. I mean, have you heard that story as well i know that story that story if i recall is outlined in the like first or second chapter of gaia matrix right right and um and is there anything more to that have you heard anything else that would con yeah, uh, contradict that because I know you mentioned that the the ley line that Peter he gets some stuff right in that book. Maybe uh, you know you're the expert on Susquehanna, so you're able to see where he might have got some things wrong. But is there anything else to that um, be- beyond what's written in the book? Well, I certainly am not the ley line expert. So, um, and to be quite honest, when I first, I mean a decade ago or whenever it was that I first became aware of the concept of ley lines. Um, I was, you know, it didn't really, it didn't strike. I was suspect. Mm. I was like, what is, you know, I, it, it didn't really excite me. So it's not really something which I know um, that I've gone real, really deep into. But as I, as I grew in terms of my understanding of reality, the idea of ley lines has gathered more and more weight. And so that is, that is, uh, um, that is more or less where I'm coming from with it. Uh, ley lines are also known as dragon lines, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of different uh, uh, terms for it. And, I've seen so many different so two, maps. Two really interesting connections to all that, if I may jump in, because Please. I mentioned the the Maxine stuff, right? And that for people who want to look that up, it's called it's spelled capital M X E N E, and it has the same suffix as graphene, and it's kind of related, right? Because they say graphene might do the same thing on a molecular biological level um but the the place where this stuff was 
created was Drexel University in Philadelphia <laughs> to, to speak of, uh, you know, dragons and then ley lines as well because the 40th parallel goes through Philadelphia, right? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. So. Um, what's the name of Jeffrey Epstein's uh, handler? What's her name? Oh, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell. Right, Ghislaine Maxwell, and that kind of has some similar flavors in that she just she just doesn't disappear. That story keeps popping up. I saw there was something about that just the other day, hmm. um, and that pops to my mind. Uh, Drexel, you know, just a personal sort of connection. Um, uh, the president of Drexel University, or I think he's still the president, um, John Fry, who was previously the president of of Franklin and Marshall College in Lancaster. So um, on, on the material level reality, you know, maybe John Fry's involved in deep esoteric stuff. Maybe uh, My guess would be no. He's like, you know, he's someone who like uh, is an operation, an operational specialist, operation being within the realm of, um, within the realm of, uh, of, of, you know, the, the, the culture of the matrix. Um, but there's a link there. There's a link. Uh, there's a link between Lancaster, Lancaster colleges and Philadelphia colleges, Lancaster city, Philadelphia city. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not exactly, you know, surprised that, that, that further supports, you know, the way, the way I see these links between these cities and these colleges. So, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, Drexel, I'm not surprised about that. And then the other interesting thing that came up since we're talking about ley lines is I, I, um, I emailed Peter Champois to have him on our show. Um, not this show, unless you'd like to join in on the interview. Uh, but for the, my family thinks I'm crazy podcast, um, and possibly tinfoil hat. Um, we'll see. Did you hear back from him? I did. And I got a really interesting message. Uh, the first message you know, was interesting. I wasn't sure what he meant, so I clarified. I said, you know, oh, well, I'm from the New England area. I read your book somewhat, and I'm really excited to talk to you about all this stuff, which then I think gave him a better impression of what my intentions are, uh, and that I actually am just interested in interviewing him for the subject and not just, like, flippantly, I guess. Maybe he receives those kind of requests or something because there was it seemed like he had a, a guard up right but then his, his second email like tw 12 paragraphs and eight attachments um and what's so interesting is i just spoke with Corey daniels uh who's the guy behind the phoenix enigma and he lives out in phoenix arizona of course and peter champois said that that's where he moved to recently and he's been studying that area out there. So he kind of started, uh, you know, he was born in Massachusetts and, and studied the New England area, I assume because of that, and then moved out west. So it's super interesting to see now. He says, uh, he says, uh, um, let's see, 
I've been at this work for 50 years, developing a sacred geographer's broad view of both ancient and modern worlds, looking towards an Aquarian future. I am most Googled as lay expert, to which I've had much exposure, but I limit my publications to ley lines or what some call dragon lines. They are large-scale alignments of culture and nature whose combined voice speaks to the consciousness entrainment being transceived by earth cell from its membranes meridians shit in shit out my website is outdated but tells a story and then he goes on further and further but he says presently i'm in cochise county arizona awakening a seven pillared temple in the form of a 70 mile circle of sky island mountains whose sacred landscape when activated will in metaphysical theory Water the West. What are your thoughts on that? I'm a fan of Peter <laughs> Shampo. So like, like whatever it. he puts, uh, whatever he puts out, like, you know, um, I, I, he, I'm always uh, intrigued uh, mentally. Um, I resonate with, his quality as a human being, like, so, like, heart space, like, I resonate with him. I, I, I'm just excited. I think that's all, whatever he does, like, you know, I, I support and I'm curious to learn more about it. I hope that he comes on one of those shows because I'd love to listen to it. I don't think I've ever heard him speak. That, that's what was so exciting about getting a, a response back. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to, to speak so with him. Is, did he, did he book? Did he book a, a a show? Yeah, yeah. I'm speaking with him uh, in the mid part of this month. In the mid part, will you do me a favor and would you tell him that uh, I don't know if he knows who I am, but, but be certain to say that I say hello. I know I recommend his book and his work all the time. I would. I mean, I would even say you should join me and we can talk to him together. Uh, that would be fantastic. If that works out, I would definitely be down with that. Um, and I'll say another thing. I am being drawn to that part of the world as well. Very cool. I'm being drawn very much. In fact, I, I had a, a conversation show yesterday, and um, it was with someone who, was, who lives in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So – so when I say that part of the world, I'm talking mostly about New Mexico. But you know, from my, from from being out on the East Coast, you know, I look at New Mexico and Arizona as the same part of the world. Right. And what I, in talking to this person at Santa Fe, I began to see a lot of similarities from Santa Fe to Lancaster, like just a city, like in terms of city plans, city like uh, how it's laid out looking at some connections through through history, uh, primarily through the Conestoga wagon. That's a physical part of history which connects Lancaster to much of the um, the you know, the the development, if you will, of the western part of, of North North America. Mm. Uh, but where it got really interesting is you've you've heard me talk about Tilakiel a lot, correct? Right, right, right. Yeah, and, and that's so, the uh <laughs> That's a huge connection, even so, connecting so, up in here in New England too. I'm seeing ex exactly, exactly. And so one of the um, there's not much information available 
on Tilakio uh, on the internet. But there's there's one website which kind of goes deep into them. I don't know if it's still live or not, but I've got a lot of screenshots which I use in presentations. And there's one paragraph in particular which um, I referenced to, and it talks about how Tilakio was very interested in, and it named this one place, and then it says the Susquehanna petroglyphs. And this other place, it's, oh, God, I'm, I'm going to butcher the name. I think it's like uh, um, Chico Canyon. Uh, it, it begins with a C-H. And um, for whatever reason, I always pictured in my mind that it was in California. But it's actually outside of, um, it's in New Mexico, outside of uh, Santa Fe. And so I was having all of these sort of, like, um, connections, which I was seeing from my lens of, like, Lancaster and, and like, the Conestoga wagons and, and the cities and to, to Santa Fe. But then when this person, they mentioned that particular, uh, that canyon, uh, and as soon as I heard it, I was like, holy, you know, this is, this is what, what Tawakiel was referencing. So then I saw that there, and, and I was able to confirm that it was one and the same. I pulled it up uh, uh, on that, that screenshot of, of the paragraph from the Tilakia website. I'm like, yes, this is the same. So now I have another sort of connection, which is kind of pulling me in. Like I'm very interested in, in the same thing, which uh, just as, as Peter has an approach, which he brings to, to landscapes, we all have our own approaches. You know, it's, it's, we want to go and encourage everyone's approach and not compete with each other's approach. Um, I would love to go and take my approach for what I created with the rights of the 40th parallel and then apply that as a model for people and, and really explore that land and then give people a model in which they can have a, a foot-on-the-ground experience of these places. So well, I know that that's something which, which is interesting to me. And yeah, and I will. So one huge connection just came up and I do want to endorse your book because it's awesome. And as well as the the postcards that you sent me too, that like have so much information packed on the back of them. So you do offer a lot of really cool information in the realms of like getting yourself uh, into this formula but what's so interesting is you mentioned that Peter Champoil, your copy of his book, disappeared, right? Well, okay. within Tara and I's last few months, like kind of being all over the place, our copy of your book has disappeared. And I haven't told you because it's like mortifying because, you know, I look up to you, I look up to your work. So I'm like, geez, I cannot find the rights of the 40th parallel. And I thought I, I think I, I even was like, oh, you know, trying to be sly, like, oh, we, we want a copy for Tara, you know. Meanwhile, <laughs> I can't find it, you know. So it's funny that that comes up on both ends. I, I you know, and then you don't ever have to go <laughs> and hide that from me. I lose I obviously. I lose things. So okay, next time I see you, I've got a couple things I need to get to you. I, I was just looking at the um, the gorilla pod, which I which I'm going to get to you, and I'll also get you another copy of the book. Thank you, thank you. And then on the to to resonate with your point on Peter Champois's work, we have uh, she ordered uh, for herself a copy of his book Moon Rivers, which I got a copy of that. Right, which is I should just recommend anyone get it because it's. It stands out as probably one of the more beautiful paperback books I've ever seen. Just 
the amount of color photos, and I don't know if every edition is like this. I mean, I hope you don't get a black and white copy of this um, because, the, wow, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it for almost the first time because she's been reading it all week, um, and it's just really kind of uh, mind-blowing, the pictures in this book and then the detail on the map. So if you are interested in what we're talking about, don't be shy. Go and support uh, this author and, and Mike as well because Mike's put some really good stuff in the publication. And, and that's the thing. is like we can only touch on so much in these conversations. There's so much more that gets left off the table that you know you, you can include in something like a book. And that's why... They've been an immense resource in my life, and and I kind of looked into what I could do about narrating or, like, giving commentary on certain books in, like, the form of a maybe a shorter-form podcast that I might do in the future. And it looks like it's not technically legal unless you only speak in your own words and you, you don't quote from the book, um, unless you use books that are outside of copyright. Which, luckily for us, there are a lot of really interesting occult books that are out of their copyright and exist in the public domain. So I think uh, as it gets colder and there's less time spent outside, I'm going to be doing something like that on the, uh, on the Patreon or, or on our membership page, whatever that becomes. Um, so people who are really interested in this stuff can kind of get like a... A, a deeper book recommendation because those those uh, archives online are not fun to dig through. So I figure if I give people like a, a little review of some of these books, it would maybe give them an incentive to go and check it out themselves. Wow. I think that's fantastic. I think uh, we have reached the end of our episode today. That's a nice way to a nice uh, a nice way to kind of wrap it up. Right on. All right, Mike. Well, thank you for uh, sharing all of that about recent events and rewilding. And I look forward to an opportunity to come see you give another one of those presentations. And thank you to everybody who did go out and uh, show up to to see mike did any real quick did anybody mention the podcast that, that showed up at the presentation not no i did not <laughs> have that in that was not part of the conversation but that doesn't mean that um that does not mean that uh they weren't there well I, shout um, out there were a bunch of people there were a bunch of people who came from outside the area and i was very pleased for that and I'll also say this, Mark. I'm going to throw this out there because what I'm not good at doing is um, is organizing like the 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 nuts and bolts to make something like that happen, like the presentations. Like what I'm really good at is showing up and doing it. So if you if you know of a place near where you are, if you can help he get that set up, and it really anyone else who listen who's listening who's probably in in the East Coast, that's probably easiest for right now. You know, let me know and I'll. I'll show up and, and, and do the presentation. I've got a whole bunch, which I, which I have um, in the can, if you will, and that's what I want to do more of. So uh, let me know if you can, you can help me set something in person up, and I'll come up and do it. Mail order, Mike. We're going to get you into Connecticut. I know a place. This is awesome. All right, man. I'll let you go. 
And uh, thank you, folks, for tuning in to another episode of Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. Did you hear that? You can get Mike in your own town giving a presentation. <laughs> it's on you. You just have to set it up. I love that. All right, Mike. <laughs> All right, Mark. Another great one. I'll talk to you soon. Take it easy. Thank you.